0: Hello and welcome back to On The Shelf. Today we have a very special author interview of all things for you today. Um, It's a little bit different. This episode is something I like to call Honora's Comic Corner. um, Where instead of a traditionally published author, I'm going to be talking to a comic book writer. Um, It's something new. It's something different. I had a lot of fun and I hope you enjoy Hello, everybody. Um, Welcome back to On the Shelf. I have kind of subtitled this episode, um, Hanor's Comic Corner, as kind of a different author interview type thing. Um, I wanted to do something new, get the opportunity to talk to someone um, that has a different kind of perspective on publishing, on writing, all that stuff. Um, And I'm I'm really excited. I'm going to let him introduce himself, and we will get into this.
1: I'm uh, David Avaloni. I'm a comic book writer and television writer and worked in film since I don't want to say the year. Let's say over 30 years. And what? I'm younger than I look.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Um, well, yeah. Um, what are some for people who are like newer to comics or anything? What are sure. some things that they might um like hear of but not have heard of that they just haven't like connected to you or things like that.
1: Sure. I work since 2014 I've been working for Dynamite Comics, which is depending on the month, probably the fifth to eighth largest comic book publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, they specialize in kind of I don't know that they would say this about themselves, but they sort of specialize in forgotten licenses. For, in things that other people aren't uh, exploiting. They they publish Red Sonia comics and Vampirella comics. The first comic I ever wrote was a steampunk variation of Vampirella called Legendary Vampirella. And that led to writing Doc Savage and The Shadow. And I'm probably mostly known for writing Elvira, Mistress of the Dark comics. I've probably mm-hmm. written about 30 of those. And uh, I wrote Betty Page comics a few years back and had a very long and successful run with her. For other companies I've written, um, I wrote a Zorro comic for uh, American mythology called Zorro Swords of Hell, which I'm very proud of. And uh, I co-created a comic called Drawing Blood. With Kevin Eastman, if that name sounds vaguely familiar to you, he co-created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. Uh, so he is somewhat of an 800-pound gorilla in comics, and I'm very, very, very lucky uh, to to be working with him. It's sort of like saying I'm doing a science fiction project with George Lucas. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just a very big well, name, and and yeah. also just a, an absolutely wonderful guy. And yeah. I've recently moved into. I mean, sort of ironically, I couldn't get arrested as a writer for decades. And once I started writing comic books, I worked on the development team for the upcoming Red Sonya movie. Oh, so wow. it changed hands a few times after I worked on it. So I have no idea if even, you know, one word of what I uh, worked on for it has ended up in the final movie. But I'm still proud of the work and uh, wrote three episodes of the Bat Wheels uh, preschooler Batman car show
0: <laughs> nice
1: which which is on HBO Max uh I like saying it's a Batman show for preschoolers so Batman can't punch people which is a fascinating challenge yeah uh, that <laughs> character <laughs> uh but it's a it's a really fun show it's 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 a it's kind of delightful and I I think we walk what I call the bugs bunny line where it's if you're under five it's bright colors and cool and nice to look at and if you're over 25 it's actually pretty smart and funny and interesting so
0: nice I, I,
1: I think it spans it spans audiences but yeah that's that's been primarily my work the last mm-hmm. like I said since about 2014 prior to that I was a film editor I still have a little bit of a jobs in film I work as an actor every now and again so uh I keep busy
0: yeah cool yeah Lots of fingers and lots of different pies. It seems that's
1: a. I mean, as an overall thing about any career in show business, including writing, all the eggs in one basket is a uh, a very, very, very bad way to proceed mm. in any variation of what I will call the professional arts.
0: Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. any
1: project can fall apart at any time, and you have to be prepared to go. Okay, I will on to the on to the next thing
0: hmm yeah and especially I feel like um uh, that can really be said especially about like the comic book industry as someone who's seen a lot of stuff like it very much like um like you can see like a run that you've been following go really really well next month it's just like nope so yeah. that, that's really interesting um Yeah, but you know, seems like for present time being, you have a lot of different things going on, a lot of different projects. That's really I
1: I do, and I am extremely grateful for that. I I had many many years of what I call the Martin Sheen in the first five minutes of Apocalypse Now. You know, Mm -hmm. staring at the staring at the walls, looking at the ceiling fan. You know, sweltering in Los Angeles weather, waiting for a mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I, now I have a lot of missions to work on and that's always a good thing. There are writers that complain about deadlines and as someone who spent way too much time not having any deadlines, deadlines are good. Mm-hmm. Deadlines mean someone actually wants the thing you're working on mm-hmm. and is looking forward to receiving it and may even write you a check when you're done. Uh, so deadlines are a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So going into the um, the questions we have, the first one, I always just really like to ask because it's just, it's just a goofy icebreaker question. Um, and you get all sorts of answers from it. But if you were a plate, what type of plate would you be?
1: I think I'm going to lean into my origins as an Italian boy from New Jersey and say, I am a paper plate soaked in grease. <laughs> soaked, soaked in the grease of my people's of, uh, that's the pl- the plate I most identify with and have the most uh, fond memories of, is you fold the slice in half, the grease runs down the slice onto the plate. Um, many people do not understand that the uh, good cheese, actually quality mozzarella cheese, will produce grease when you cook it at an incredibly high temperature. If your mozzarella does not produce any grease and turn orange, it is not good and your pizza is bad. (laughs) So that's off the top of my head. That is the plate I will most identify with.
0: I mean, you know, that's a good one. Um, Yeah. I I love hearing the answers to those because they're always like so different, but they also like um, a lot of the times they will go back to some like a familial thing or some kind of cultural thing, which I think is cool. And also like how people interpret it. Cause sometimes people have interpreted um, plate as like a dish, like a different food dish, uh, which I think is cool. Um, yeah. And people, you know, have said tectonic plates, which is, I,
1: I considered, awesome. I considered going with ramekin just because it's a, a ridiculous word that I love, but I am not small and cute in that way.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> I am not a ramekin. You can't put creme brulee in me. So, you know, I mean, you can, but it's not great for me.
0: So. Understandable um what are some of your like go-to comfort tv movies books anything especially as we're getting into like fall well at least in north carolina uh we're getting into kind of like fall winterish it's like good time to just curl up and have you know if you if you had time to spare to do something like that what would, sure. would or? Um, uh,
1: you know the 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 things you love when you you're a kid are generally the comfort food That you Mm -hmm. go back to and the, uh, I would say the, the first five or six James Bond movies are probably my comfort food Uh, movies that you know every word of that, Mm -hmm. you know, probably Coen Brothers movies are also comfort food. Uh, comfort food is by its nature not supposed to be challenging and I would say yeah. the movies are a little ch- more challenging than that but like Raising Arizona there's you could I could have that on on a loop 24 hours a day and I would not go like oh turn that thing off already it's boring me um so yeah I would say in terms of movies that's it and you know James Bond meant a lot to me when I was a kid um uh, I probably reread You Only Live Twice once a year mm-hmm. as books go I think it's I think Fleming's a little underrated as a writer. And that book is so, it's an absolutely bizarre book, especially if you only know the character from the movies, it's a meditation on grief and loss and fate in a way that none of the other books are. And it's also, I think this happens to people. He started writing thrillers and at a certain point he went, I am bored now. I am going to put James Bond through some very sad things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, you know, I'm going to hit him with a hammer for a book and see how he, reacts to it and that's always interesting to me Philip K. Dick's Valis is also comfort food for me which is also about grief and recovery and mental health uh, now that you mention it Um, my dad's books I don't know if my father was a novelist he wrote about 200 published novels oh wow Um, among them are the Ed Noon private eye novels so those are a few of those one called dead game is comfort food for me Uh, there's something about a dame uh, the book he wrote about loss and sanity and all that is called uh, High Noon at Midnight. Uh, it's great to be able to engage. He's been gone over 22 years. And I, to be able to engage with your father and hear his voice in your head is a gift. Most yeah. people, most people's fathers do not leave leave them a giant repository of everything they thought about everything. Mm-hmm. that You can walk over to a shelf and pull down. And the ultimate comfort food is music. Mm -hmm. Um, I listen to music when I write I listen to music to unwind I listen to music to reconsider my life for want of a better description Um, and that music all all across the board I do listen to a lot of movie soundtrack music particularly when I write Um, but a lot of jazz a lot of classical some classic rock that Mm -hmm. kind of thing
0: yeah cool um what do you think is the best thing you've read in the past 12 months
1: best thing I've read in the last 12 months that's a hard one I've been (laughs) I wonder about how much time my colleagues have to do anything but work and do research like Mm -hmm. my fellow comic book writers I'm like what's time to actually read a comic book that's that must be nice um but what have I been reading uh David Boer had a thing called Rain that was really beautiful, um, almost it, hard to read. Very, very dark stuff. I'm talking about grief a lot. Strangely, um, <laughs> what did I reread recently? That I oh, I re- I reread uh, Man Who Fell to Earth recently because of the uh, there's a there was a Showtime mm-hmm. series that I think was poorly marketed. I think if you didn't watch it, you thought it was a remake. And what it is, in fact, is like the HBO's Watchmen, it's a sequel to the book that acknowledges really? the, that acknowledges the existence of the questionable the movie of questionable quality, but is a sequel to the book and kind of jumps over the movie a little bit. Uh, it's very good, very worth watching. And that's a great book. And again, that's one of those things where you can tell it's an author alien is a metaphor for a certain state of being a human being uh the mm-hmm. uh, the character of thomas newton is is brought low by the fact that he doesn't know how to process human emotions he becomes an alcoholic and it's partially because the if you're an empathic person who feels pain the world is just full of painful things and mm-hmm. unless you develop some kind of very strong skin which he is not predisposed to have uh, everything hurts. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's a really beautiful book.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I didn't know that the like the Showtime show was kind of the similar thing with like the Watchmen. So that's, I think that's something um, it was on my radar. It was something that's kind of like been on my radar to check out. Um, but I think especially now I'll be. <laughs> I yeah. Don't
1: it's, I mean, it's not a, it's not a spoiler because it's literally the first episode. Mm-hmm. But when I started watching it, it has a similar structure to the original novel and yeah. the original movie. Alien comes to earth. This time it's uh, Chiwetel instead of mm-hmm. Bowie. Um, and you think, okay, this is the same story. And then everybody is talking about Thomas Newton. And at mm-hmm. the end of the episode, you meet, meet Bill Naji and go, oh, sure. With Bowie gone, that's a skinny, weird, old Englishman
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, Like okay.
1: who's, who's compelling and fascinating. And of course he's supposed to be Bowie as an old man and he kind of does Bowie's voice and mannerisms pretty well. Uh, I mean, they're from the same part of the world more, yeah. more so than even just England. I think they're from the same part of England uh, or at least he does a passable impression of it. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I recommend it very highly. Same thing by the way for Pennyworth, which is, in my mind, a dumb idea for a show who cares about Alfred's Butler or about Batman's Butler. Mm-hmm. But what, again, what no one marketed to me is it takes place in an alternative uh, parallel universe earth.
0: Yeah. Where, mm-hmm.
1: where history is completely different. And I only have watched the first season so far. I just caught up with it. And I have it hasn't yet revealed what happened differently. Mm-hmm. To make the, I had a, I have a couple of theories about what happened differently, and then they had an episode where I went, oh, something must have happened differently even before the twentieth century to get us here. Mm-hmm. It's not just the 1930s that went differently. Newgate Prison, which should have been torn down in 1904, that also didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So this is a, so it's a way more complicated and interesting, and it's you know set in mid-century Britain, which is a of great interest to me to begin with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I had <laughs> I had some kind of like train of thought response to that, and then I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. Um. That tends. That's okay. To be a recurring theme on on the <laughs> shelf is me forgetting everything I'm going to say. Um. So going back to the questions, um, what is your favorite part and least favorite part of the writing process? Uh,
1: my. I love writing itself. Mm-hmm. I really do. I uh, my father was the same way. When people would talk about it being a struggle and it being painful, he'd always say, "Then don't do it, man. <laughs> like why? Why? Well, you know, go go do something else if if it's that painful for you." And there are parts of it that are definitely painful, but ultimately the joy itself of sitting, hands on keyboard creating things is pretty great. The The greatest part I would say specifically of comic book writing is that it's like filmmaking, but you don't ever have to go to set or wake up at five in the morning mm-hmm. because literally you write something, you send it off and then like magic, the art appears in your inbox and you look at it. And like I said, you didn't have to get up at five and drink bad coffee and be on your feet for 16 hours to see it being done. Or to supervise it, you just had to sleepily open an email and go, oh, yeah, it looks great. (laughs) And that part where it's the I can honestly say the first time I saw a page drawn that I had written, I cried like I was so. Beautiful. And it was so. You know, the artist worked really hard, uh, but I didn't have to do anything but tell him this is what I would like you to draw. And that's really something least favorite part of like, I don't know that I have a least favorite part of writing. The least favorite part of being a writer is the self-promotion part, Mm -hmm. which again, any career in the professional arts, particularly in the 21st century, you are absolutely expected to be your own PR department. Even if you have a PR department, Dynamite has had some, good PR people over the years currently has a good one, but, um, still the degree to which you have to blow your own horn and people who don't know me well might think, oh, that comes really easily to you. You're an absolute swaggering braggart who can always tell you how great you are. Uh, but it's exhausting. That part (laughs) is exhausting writing to a convention. And I've done this multiple times writing to a an convention and finding a very polite humble sounding way to say i am famous give me a free table and a plane ticket and a hotel room because i am famous enough that i deserve these things from you uh shockingly it works uh when you do it well enough and when they're convinced that yes they would like you to come to their convention uh and convention i love conventions but they are exhausting and as a professional, I think it behooves me to go to, I mean, I think the minimum number removing COVID from the equation mm-hmm. The minimum number of cons I go to in a year is five and the maximum is 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will probably, I may go to more than that in 2023. Um, and you know, you, all of that self, all of that self-promotion and support. I mean, I spent the last couple of days, um, managing my appearance at la comic-con in a few days which includes moderating some panels and getting people to show up for those panels and casting the panels and having my table ready and having merch to sell at my table and all that mm-hmm. you know you get to an end of a day like that and you're like but i would like to write a thing now <laughs> can i can i get back to writing so the the worst part of writing is not writing that's the short pithy version of all that that i just blurted out.
0: <laughs> yeah um and kind of similar experience um to that stuff that i've seen um my mom is a potter and she runs her own small business and a big part of that is going to various shows and having to like you know talk to people in person and sell stuff And almost the entire time we're there, she's like, I just want to be back in my studio. I just want to be back, like making the, you know, the orders and doing all of that stuff. I
1: totally, and the thing is, like, I love the, the part of cons that I love is meeting people and talking to people and getting actual feedback from people who've read my work is really nice. Um, I had sort of an epiphany in the last couple of years that I will never be, my income is not going to come from selling books at conventions conventions are mm-hmm. not going to be a big part of my income they are part of my promotion they are a part of how i get my face out there mm-hmm. i mean i think when i do panels that's getting that's being exposed to people who don't know me and maybe they'll now go pick up a book because i said something that was interesting to them same thing with like i generally don't say no to coming on people's podcasts and doing interviews because <laughs> again If one if one person hears this and goes, "Oh, that guy sounds interesting. I'll go buy one of his comics." That person is potentially someone who's going to buy everything I write for the next forty years. So, like, I might as well because you know there are comic book writers and artists and writers and artists and filmmakers whose work I've always gone back to.
0: Yeah, and
1: I am a I am a, a satisfied customer. So every time you create one of those satisfied customers, you've, you've done something good for yourself.
0: Yeah. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so kind of going back to your work, uh, especially your work at dynamite, you've had kind of the chance to, to write um, an- people who have like very sorry. I need to collect myself. Okay. Um, it's been a very long day. We're getting to the point where, like, midterms are about to happen. Everything's sure. very uh all the time. Um, okay. What are
1: you? What are you studying? Can I ask?
0: I am a senior in high school, so. Wow. Yeah.
1: I don't know that I've had a conversation with a senior in high school since nineteen eighty two, since I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. anyway, go on.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh. So basically, at Dynamite, and kind of just from what I've seen, you've had the chance to write a lot of um, very kind of, especially Elvira, um, like pop culture, very um, influential types of characters, and just type those types of things. Um, and just kind of in general, who do you think has been your favorite character to write? And this is a two-part question, so sure. get part after you say that. Um, That's a, you know, I I really in.
1: I've enjoyed pretty much every character I've written and I don't know that I have a favorite. Like I love writing Elvira, but Elvira is a real person named Cassandra Mm -hmm. Peterson who I talk to on the phone and trade emails with. So that's the most fun interaction because it's writing a character who is alive. Mm -hmm. When I write John Carter of Mars, there is no one to email and say, hey, John, uh, what were you thinking when you and Dejah Thoris visited the thark capital like that's not a not a conversation i can have i can't ask the shadow about his deepest thoughts and feelings but i love writing the shadow i loved writing doc savage i love writing john carter uh love writing batman now for the tv show um so it's a it's a hard the the indie comic that i do with kevin eastman the main character is named shane bookman and because it's an indie comic, I probably have put the most of myself into that character, even though the character is at least 51% based on Kevin, as much as it's based on me. Um, I've been able to deal with a lot of personal stuff in that comic because it's not a, it's not a, it's an adult contemporary, and I mean adult in the sense of, you know, R-rated, not in the sense of sex mm-hmm. and violence, Um it's a it's a it's about emotions and feelings. It's not about you know who's who defeats the supervillain. So it's a more, uh, it's a more personal story.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well. Okay. The second part of this question. Um, I'm going to, yeah, and which you can kind of just like encompass the whole of your last answer. Um, mm-hmm. but excluding. Um. Elvira, since you you know, you know Cassandra Peterson in real life, um, and she's a real person. But um, which out of the characters that you've written do you think you would get along with the best if you were to meet them?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, I get along pretty well with Elvira, (laughs) as it (laughs) turns out in the real world. Uh the best is a hard I think I would be in love with Betty Page. Um, at least as written by me. She's delightful. Uh, And, you know, based very much on the real Mm -hmm. person. Uh, I mean, I go back to, you know, Shane is, Shane Bookman is based a lot on Kevin Eastman and Kevin's maybe my best friend. So I think I'd get along really well with Shane Bookman too uh, because he's drawn so much from someone I really like and admire and enjoy spending time with and talking with and all that. Uh, Kevin's an enormously kind man. He's kinder than I am uh, easily. And uh, that's, a that's a, even though the character of Shane Bookman is a darker version of him based on a harder part of. They, uh, I would be there for, Ke- for Shane Bookman. And I think he would be there for me. I think we would be. I think we would be pals. I don't think the shadow makes friends very well, <laughs> uh, and Doc Savage is just intimidating. Uh, probably the same goes for John Carter, uh, and Bruce Wayne maybe. But I'm not writing Bruce Wayne. I'm writing Batman. and, I don't. I don't. I don't know that I would get along terribly well with Batman.
0: Yeah, I mean, understandable. It is Batman. Um. Yeah. Well,
1: I just think he's not like he's not out there trying to make friends.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> he's not out there trying to give of himself. He's mm-hmm. trying to literally make sure you know as little about him as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. So uh,
0: he's out there to get the job done. That's out there it.
1: to get the job done. So you know, Bruce Wayne, I could probably have a drink with, but Batman, Batman's a little too focused on the task at hand when he's Batman
0: yeah um yeah so time is coming to a close but I figured we could get at least one more question in oh, here probably. um so and I'm you know skipping around a tiny bit um but basically so you've mentioned how you've kind of you worked on um film in the past as a film editor and you've done writing for stuff um but what like why comics like how did you kind of get um, get into it and just kind of did you ever um, especially since your father was a novelist did you ever experiment with doing more long form um, I have I
1: the, the first gig I ever had was writing short stories for a game company called West End Games I wrote four Star Wars short stories that were published in 1989 and I wrote a book for them again related very much to a game
0: mm-hmm.
1: called Vulture Warriors of Dimension X and I liked it very much and I wrote some television in the 90s. I wrote a TV show called uh, VR Troopers in the 90s. Prose is a lot of work mm-hmm. um, and the pay is not always great. Film is less work and the pay varies enormously. Comics kind of came along of a colleague read an old script of mine for a movie that never got made and said, this is really good. I can recommend you to. Dynamite's editor in chief and they did. And Dynamite's editor in chief and I got along and I wrote for him and I discovered I really liked it. And I think a large part of why I love comics and stick with it. a lot, Some of it does have to do with the dynamite and the Kevin Eastman of it all. I have an enormous amount of creative freedom in comics that I never had in any other medium. A lot of times, especially as a film editor, you are you are working on someone else's thing and doing your best to make it good. And sometimes nothing you do is going to make it great. You can Mm -hmm. rescue it from mediocrity. Uh, You can keep it from being a train wreck. You can't always keep make it good Mm -hmm. Uh, when it's yours. When you're the writer, um, you can make it good and it can be very much an expression of yourself and of what you think is good so after all these years in show business when I started writing comics even writing other people's characters like Vampirella and Red Sonja and John Carter and Zorro and all that um working for Dynamite I've been able to with almost no exceptions write whatever I wanted to write with these characters and that's unbeatable um I would go back to, I would make a film in a heartbeat. I would, that that old script that never got made. If someone had a million dollars lying around and wanted to shoot it, I would be happy to do that for six months and make that movie. But I don't think I'll ever stop writing comic books because it's an incredibly satisfying medium. Mm-hmm. And And, you know, film is a small community. Comics is a microscopic community. Mm-hmm. And it can be a very friendly and welcoming one and i also do everything in my power to keep it a friendly and
0: welcoming one yeah um yeah so for our final question um we always like to ask well since the podcast was originally connected to an indie bookstore in raleigh um we always like to allow our guests to highlight um local bookstore where they are um, or also you know anywhere special where people can get um, some of your comics or just dynamite comics Um, in general just you know any of that good stuff
1: sure Uh, my local store here in Los Angeles is the legendary golden apple on Melrose uh, which is where I've been buying comics since I moved to Los Angeles in 1987 It was in a slightly different location then, but it's the same family, same tradition. That's a great shop. There's there's a shop in Burbank called House of Secrets, uh, which I'm very fond of, and they're great people working there. And And these are shops that carry my books. I do. One of the things that I do, and I think this behooves anyone in the business, especially in comic books, when I travel, I go to... I look up comic book shops where I in the town I am in and I go in and look around. And if they have anything of mine, I offer to sign it and I meet the owner and usually they're pretty happy to have someone in their store. Um, and so mega brain comics in Rhinebeck, New York is one of my favorite shops uh, owner of that's uh, Jean-Michel lovely guy. Um, there's uh in New York city, there's forbidden planet. Uh, another legendary store that I used to go to back in the eighties. Um, and in LA, in terms of books, I live around. Part of the reason I live where I live is I live around the corner from a used bookstore called the uh, counterpoint. And I am sure I have put a wing on their house or sent a child of theirs to college over the years with the amount of money I've sent, spent in that store, buying books and CDs and comics and vinyl uh, from them over the year. But I, I I think a lot of writers forget the retailer part of the equation.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: ultimately, when someone walks into a comic book store or a bookstore and says to the man behind the counter, the woman behind the counter, what's good? You want to be the thing that they say is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? If they like you personally and have interacted with you, they are roughly one million times more likely to say, you know, David Avalone is in the shop last week, and he signed uh, Elvira in Horrorland Number One. Why don't you, you know, give that a read? That's four ninety nine, and uh, that's what you want. You want yeah. you want people to have a positive experience of you, and and again, like everything else, you you talk up your friends' work, you talk up your friends' shops. Um, that's the that that's a big part of it being a community.
0: Yeah. Um yeah well thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show um my pleasure i hope the fact that i am a high school student i hope that didn't ruin the oh whole- no
1: i knew i knew you were a student i couldn't i didn't know if it was high school or college it doesn't yeah. you know like i yes. said that's
0: well thank you um thank you for being willing to come on um i you know i'm a very big fan of comics during like beginning of high school and stuff it got really difficult for me to read like outside of class and comics became like the sure. thing I could just read and just like really um enjoy so they, they mean a lot to me um you know and it means a lot to be able to talk to someone who writes them and just kind of learn a bit more about thank you some everything um but yeah, um, and I will include links to all the places you included. So if people are in those areas or they're in, you know, interested, um, all of those will be in the show notes below. Thank you again. Um, you know, um, we're gonna be back on Sunday, our normal schedule. This is a, it was a weird week last week. We have a special Tuesday episode and I'm happy. You know, it was a, yeah, I don't know. Again, train of thought out the window, but anyways.
1: i understand
0: (laughs) yeah um i will stop the recording but thank you i hope you enjoyed this episode of on the shelf if you did please consider giving us a rating on whatever service you're listening on and follow us on instagram on underscore the underscore shelf underscore podcast at instagram Yeah, for updates, sneak previews, and more.